How are we doing, church? Doing okay? So glad that you are here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, grab them, and we're going to be in the book of 1 John for the next 15 weeks, okay? 1 John, it's way towards the back of the book, go, 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 and everybody needs to grab a Bible or a device or however you need to do it, that's fine, um, but go to 1 John, we're going to be here for a long time, so uh, put a bookmark there too, because we'll, again, we're going to be there week after week after week, and today, what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about sharing your faith, and, and so I know everybody just went, oh, dang, and I hate that one, but... He, but, but just so you feel a little bit better about yourself, apparently you're doing a really good job already at it because, um, you know, we just started this church about two and a half years ago, and, and I know Pastor Britt mentioned this um, during the announcements, but some of you don't hear the announcements. So uh, uh, last week at, at our Easter services that started on Thursday, we had some on Saturday and a bunch on Sunday, uh, there were 9,553 people in attendance to worship Jesus right here at the Church of 1122. That's awesome. Um, and even more awesome is 87 people surrendered their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's really cool. That means that so far this year that 274 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ in the services at 1122. And that means 2,400 people have surrendered their lives to Christ since we opened the doors of the church of 1122. And that's awesome. Now... <clears throat> The question that I get asked most often is, how does that happen? How is your church growing so fast and all of that? And here's why. It's because you are telling people about Jesus. And so, so you can just kind of relax a little bit, and that's what we're going to talk about. We're going we're gonna to look at it in 1 John. So hopefully by now you found 1 John. If not, you've got to keep trying. And also today you're going to need your bulletin, okay? There's one part in the bulletin that you're going to need to use. And so... Um, 1 John is a letter, or an epistle is what it's called, written by a guy named, come on, take a guess. See, you're so spiritual. Look at that. You're doing good. You didn't think you were spiritual. Yeah, they get, didn't get real creative with the books of the Bible, and so it was written by John. It was called John. It was really a letter, and John is the same John that's in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the same John, and he was a disciple of Jesus, one of the early followers of Jesus, and you may have heard that John, his nickname is the one that Jesus loved. Now, the problem with that is the only place he's called that is in the book of John. He named himself that, so whatever. Maybe he's arrogant. I don't know. And so, so he's, he's kind of Jesus' favorite, at least according to him. He's one of the disciples. And later on, he becomes an elder of the church at Ephesus. And so this letter, he is writing to his church as kind of some warnings and that sort of thing. And um, later in his life, he was arrested, and they tried to get him to say that Jesus was not Lord, that Jesus did not uh, die on the cross and was bodily resurrected from the grave. And he was like, look, I can't help but talk about what I've seen and heard. So they tried to kill him by boiling him. And he didn't die, he just, you know, got well done, but he was still okay. And then they put him off on the Isle of Patmos in order to die. And, and, and so he writes this letter in about 90 AD. Now what's important about that is that this letter, 1 John, it's not very long, by the way. It's just two and a half pages in your Bibles. And, uh, and you might think, uh, how can we spend 15 weeks on that? <laughs> you just wait. Um, and so what John is doing, it's written in 90 AD, which is important. Which means there's not enough time for this for like folklore or history or myth or, or fake history or myth to begin to develop. But when he writes this, the old guys in the room that are reading the letter were actually alive back when Jesus was walking on water and feeding people all those fish sandwiches and all that sort of stuff. So they were actual eyewitnesses. And this is very important, and if you don't get this, then it'll be really hard to understand most of 1 John, that there was a heresy that began to creep up in his church, in this church in Ephesus. And, and it was called Gnosticism, all right? It was the heresy of, of the Gnostics. 
And, and the word um, Gnostic in Greek, it just simply means knowledge. And what happened was these people began to believe in this kind of false dichotomy of the human existence. That they believed that there was this spiritual experience that you have and this physical experience that you have. And those two things were completely separate. And that all things physical were evil and bad and, and crooked and dying. And that the only thing that could be good were spiritual things. And therefore, the Gnostics were teaching that Jesus was a man... Um, lived in Nazareth, he was a carpenter's son, and all of those things. But the Christ was this spirit that was somehow different than Jesus, and that the spirit of Christ fell on Jesus at his baptism, but the spirit of Christ left him at, at the crucifixion, and that Jesus did not bodily raise from the dead, but he just kind of, his spirit just came back and appeared kind of in our hearts and that kind of thing. And so what you're going to see is that John is writing in that context. And he's going to address very specifically that Jesus Christ is fully God, fully man, and there's a bodily resurrection. And if you believe anything other than that, then you don't believe the gospel. So with all that in mind, let's make it to 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. And he starts out this way. That which was from the beginning. All right, we've got to stop. See, that's why it takes 15 weeks, okay? That which was from the beginning. So he's talking about Jesus, and he's saying, listen, Jesus was not just born in Nazareth. That's not when Jesus started. That which Jesus was from the beginning. And everybody knew that Genesis 1-1 started out in the beginning. And so anybody that was Orthodox Jew at that point went, oh, yeah. So are you trying to connect Jesus to the very first verse of the whole Bible in the beginning? And John would say, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. And in fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis 1-1, where it starts out in the beginning... And you were to do a Hebrew word study of the word beginning, which I know all of you do on the weekends, right, for free time. The word beginning in Hebrew, I can't pronounce it. I have to spell it. It's R-E apostrophe S-H-I-T. So say it yourself if you want to. I can't. I'll get fired. So the word R-E apostrophe S-H-I-T translated in the beginning, it means, um, it means beginning, it means first fruit, or it means firstborn. And so, from the very beginning of the Bible, Jesus is there at the creation from the very beginning. And so, John is saying that Jesus, that guy that was walking around and walking on water and healing people and teaching stuff, and people got mad at him and crucified him, he is from the very beginning. Or if you look at the Gospel of John that John wrote, he starts out his Gospel this way. He says, in the beginning, there it is again, in the beginning was the Word. And the Greek word there for Word is logos. And it doesn't just mean like a word that comes out of your mouth. The, the, the Greek idea of Logos was like the, almost like the force in Star Wars. It was like this unseen force that created everything, that kind of held the universe together. And all the Greeks already understood that. And so John borrows this idea that has some truth in it and begins to tie it to, to the truth of Jesus. So in the beginning was the word or this force. And that word, and the word was with God, and the, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then when you get down to verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh. So this, this, this eternal power that everybody kind of says, yeah, yeah, I get it, there's something bigger than us. John's saying that that which was from the beginning, his name was Jesus. That, that he's kind of a big deal. Or Paul would say it this way in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 19. says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, here's the word, preeminent. For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. So, so you get it? In other words, John is saying, hey, this Jesus is kind of a big deal. I mean, he's kind of the biggest deal of all the big deals that have ever existed. That we can kind of get our head around the idea that God is big, yet Jesus is God. Fully God. And the fullness of God, all that you ever think about when you think about the bigness of God, dwelt and was made manifest in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, so he is, he is not a part of creation, that Jesus himself is the creator. So when, when you walk out on the beach this afternoon and you see all the little specks of sand that are all over, that Jesus placed everyone there and knows where everyone is. Tonight when the sun goes down and the stars come out, that Jesus spoke them into existence. I mean, I, he just had an idea and he says stuff and stuff happens. He says stars and there's stars everywhere. And then mountains and boom, mountains exist. In galaxies and solar systems, he speaks into existence. In Jacksonville, and wow, there's Jacksonville. I mean, he just creates out of nothing, and none of us can do that. Even the most creative people in the room, you are limited. You don't really create anything. I know you're like, no, 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 my teacher said I'm creative. No, no, no. You basically, you, we all have to take resources that are already available and rearrange them in a new way. God doesn't do that. He actually creates the resources out of nothing. That Jesus is a big deal. So he's not just a guy that walked around Nazareth, but he is that which was from the beginning. And then he keeps going, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. You see, John wants his church to know fundamentally that Jesus is not just a spirit and he's not just a man, but Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. He's 100% God and he's 100% man. And people are like, oh, that math doesn't work, but it does in God. That he became a man. And, and that John has experienced him. He's not just talking about something that he feels in his heart. But he's saying that which was from the beginning, this eternal God, I talked to him. Like when he calls me on the phone, he didn't even have to tell me who it is. He had to be like, hey, this is Jesus. Like, I know, I've heard you talk a bunch. I know what you sound like. We've heard him with our ears. And I've seen him. And I've touched him with my hands. That, that John's saying we have experienced God in the flesh, and his name is Jesus. Now, most people, most people have a tendency to lean in one of two directions. Most people either lean towards the humanity of Jesus, you know, and maybe some of you are watching that series that's on television now, AD, and you're watching it, and you're like, oh, wow, that's what Jesus looked like? Cool, I didn't know that. I didn't know an Israelite had blue eyes and a British accent. That's crazy, who knew? But maybe, all right? But John said, yeah, he was like a real man. Like, we used to walk around with him and high-five him, and I'd tell a joke, and he'd laugh, and he used to play jokes on Peter all the time. He was great. He's like a real dude. And then other people tend to lean towards, like, the vastness and the bigness of God. Because we, I mean, we can't fully understand it, but we get that God is immense and eternal and huge. And what, what John is saying here is that that almighty king has become knowable in the person of Jesus Christ. It would be sort of like, this isn't a great illustration, but it's the best thing I can come up with. Um, when I was in college, I don't know about you, but when I was in college, I was broke. I mean, like, broke, broke, like, broke. You know what I mean? Maybe, I, I know most of you, your parents paid for everything. God bless you. But not me. I ate mac and cheese like it was going out of business. You know what I'm saying? Back right when I had hair, you get per plus, like, 
in a gallon this big. Lasted me my whole career in college, all right? And so we lived in like the rough part of Richmond. And every place I'd live in in my apartments, soon after they'd get condemned, so we kind of move around to the non-condemned place. Well, right next to it, they tore down one of the apartment buildings that had been condemned. And there was this vacant lot. And so I'd have to walk through the vacant lot on my way from the, my apartment to my classes. And there was this kid there that would ride his big wheel. Remember the big wheel? Big wheel in the front, a couple of little plastic wheels in the back. And three weeks into your big wheel experience, they would get a hole in it and go, duck, duck, duck. remember that? And then your parents wouldn't fix it because they don't love you, but whatever. And so there were also these huge carpenter ants. You know what those are? They look terrifying, all right? These huge carpenter ants would always be in this vacant lot. And this little psycho kid, my neighbor's kid, would get on his big wheel and he would ride around in the vacant lot and squish all of the carpenter ants with his big wheel. Just ride around and try to power slide and kill all the ants. And so eventually the ants would figure it out and they would run and hide in the cracks. And then he'd go back inside and he'd get jelly. And he'd take a big thing of jelly and he'd smear jelly all over the, the vacant lot. And apparently, you know, the ants love some jelly and they would, you know, put on their Twitter feed, jelly alert and ants from everywhere we just gather around. There'd be these thousands of ants all over the place. And I remember going to class thinking, this kid has major issues. And I'm going to be nice to him because he might grow up and kill me one day. But, you know, he's psycho. He's psycho. And he's, he's getting a lot of enjoyment out of just killing ants. And so, I, you know, I'm no ant lover or anything like that. But, but if, if, if I love the ants and if I had a purpose and a plan for the ants and if I really, if it broke my heart that ant parts were flying all over the place from psycho big wheel boy, okay, what can I do about it as a human? Because if I were to stand among the ants as a human and say, Hear ye, hear ye, well, ants. Run, because Psycho Boy is bringing the jelly. They would look at me and be like, God, look at the size of that boot. That's all they could get. The only way I think that I could communicate with an ant is that I would have to become an ant. That I would have to get on the same level as an ant and that I would have to go eyeball to eyeball with an ant, be born an ant, live as an ant, work my way up in the carpenter colony with an ant. And then at, at just the right time, I could stand before the ants and say, attention ants, behold, do not fall prey to the jelly. I know it tastes good, but it leads to certain death. Follow me to the promised land. We're going to the garden next door. And then whoever would follow would follow. And I know that's a dumb illustration, and it breaks apart a lot theologically, but <laughs> this is what John is saying, that the almighty, infinite God became like one of us, got eyeball to eyeball with one of us, and we've heard him, like I heard him talk. And I've seen him with my eyes, and we looked upon him, and we've touched him with our hands, that he became like one of us, concerning the word of life, verse 2, the, the, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it. This, the, theolo the theological word there is the incarnation, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That this is not an idea, this is not a concept, this is not a theological construct, but it's an actual event. That the Almighty God was pleased to dwell in the person of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. God, the Son, in the flesh, fully man and fully God. And so after he establishes that, that Jesus is almighty and they experienced him in the person of Jesus, they hung out with him, they, they fished with him, then he goes on and says, and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So what John says is, and, okay, we've experienced Jesus and so we testify to it and we proclaim to you eternal life. In other words, we want you to have what we have. This is the essence of evangelism. 
And every one of us in our hearts are evangelists. And you think, whoa, 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 not me. Well, the, the, the Greek word evangelion that we, we transliterate into evangelism, it just, it simply means to tell good news. It means to tell good news. The literal definition before it became like a church word was this, enthusiastic advocate. And you know what's true about you? It's also true, it's true about every single one of us. When we experience something that we think is awesome, we just have a propensity to tell people about it. Now, now don't think church at all. Just think about if you go to a great restaurant, don't you, don't you kind of come out of there and be like, oh, I need to tell my friends about this. I had such a great experience in this restaurant. I just need to tell my friends about it. And you become an enthusiastic, enthusiastic advocate. And you don't, you're not trying to convince people. You're like, hey, you go and eat there for yourself and decide for yourself. But as for me and my house, we, that was awesome. So if you come to me and you say, hey, my anniversary is coming up. Where should I go? I got one answer. Three forks. You know why? I am an enthusiastic advocate. Why? Now, I can't go there all the time. But I remember the first time I went to Three Forks, all right? And I, I dig into that bone-in ribeye and I eat it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, something spiritual just happened. <laughs> See, I grew up where it had to be your birthday to get a steak at Western Sizzling, all right? And it's just different. It's just different. And so I tell people, you've got to experience this food. If you find that kind of restaurant, you, you're an enthusiastic advocate. Or if you've ever seen a, like a really great movie. I remember when I saw American Sniper, I was just like, hey, you've you got to see this movie. You've got to see this movie and just be ready for the end. And if somebody talks at the end, you punch them in the face, okay? Just, that's what you have to do. If you're like, really? Is that good? Oh, yeah. So it's that good. Or you ever, you ever like get into a TV show? And you just go to people like, have you seen this TV show? And if they say no, I mean, like when The Walking Dead came out and I got trapped in an airport and started walking, watching The Walking Dead, and I was like, are you watching The Walking Dead? And people were like, no, I'm not. You're like, really? What is, what is wrong with you? You know? And then when they watch it and they're not as stoked about it as you are, you're like, no, you've got to give it three episodes. You've got to, like, get into it. The first three were kind of low budget, and then it took off after three. You've got to understand the characters. Or do you, have you ever been on the outside looking in and everybody else is watching some show and you're like, what? I, that sounds dumb. And they look at you like, what? Oh, are you crazy? Well, all you're doing is in that moment, you're an enthusiastic advocate for these things. Evangelism is just, hey, this is what John's saying here. I've experienced something. And what I've experienced is better in a restaurant, it's better in a TV show, it's better in a movie. I've experienced that which was from the beginning and I met him, and his name's Jesus. And so I have to test, I got to just got to talk about it. And I want to proclaim this to you. And what you are proclaiming is simply this. It's just good news. That as Christians, our faith system isn't even built on faith. It's built on the gospel, and the gospel means good news. And news is just proclaiming something that's happened. And what's happened is that God became a man and died on the cross to pay for our sin they put him in the grave, and on the third day, he bodily resurrected from the grave, not just to forgive us of our sins, but to conquer sin and death. And he gets all the credit for our sin and takes the payment for it, and we get all the credit for his righteousness. And so we are seen as pure and blameless. But the reality of, of good news is this, is that you first must experience something before you talk about it. And the last thing that Jesus commands in the Great Commission is, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples wherever you're going. And just teach them everything that I have taught you. And baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, all I want you to do is go out and talk about, proclaim, testify. Not ideas, not concepts, 
not theories, not even like theology that you don't understand, but I just want you to go and talk about what you have seen and heard. And so he says, so we testify to it, we proclaim it to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. And so that's our commission as a Christian, that we're to proclaim, that we're to testify. Now, here, now here's the reality. Anytime we talk about evangelism, again, we have all these ideas of what evangelism is. Look, in the very center of the word, evangelion, is the word angel. That that's us, that we are supposed to be messengers on behalf of God. That's it. And you know what else this doesn't mean? This doesn't mean that you're supposed to be weird, okay? And the reality is that God is going to call many of you to do many weird things in his name. It is true. If you read through the Old Testament, he told one cat, he told one prophet to take off his pants and run around town for a few years, all right? So if God calls you to go pantsless in your missionary journey to Jacksonville, just do me a favor. Just take your 1122 sticker off your car before you do that, for my sake, okay? But I think a lot of times we've seen it done in such a way that you think, okay, if that's what it means to proclaim, I don't think I'm going to do that. Have you ever been accosted by a stranger that was convinced you're going to hell? Boy, that's a bag of fun, isn't it? I mean, so I can remember uh, many, many years ago, I used to live in Myrtle Beach, like the Redneck Riviera. And so if you, were a, if you were a youth pastor in South Carolina and North Carolina and you couldn't afford like a real mission trip, you'd go to Myrtle Beach because the whole southeast goes to Myrtle Beach. And, and you would load up your youth kids with these tracks. We'll talk about what a track is in a little while. And you just cut them loose on the beaches, on the... On the the Grand Strand is what it's called. And you'd walk up to random people and you'd start with this question. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you'd go? Which is a weird question to ask a person that you've never met before in your life. Is it not? Be like, who are you? And you're talking about me dying tonight? I think, police, police. <laughs> now I want to talk about eternal life. Now we're about to talk about life in prison, okay? Quit threatening me. It's a weird opening line. And so I can remember my dad comes down to see me. And I pray, I pray for my dad all the time. I try to share my faith with my dad. And it just always gets weird. So here I see this youth group making their way to us. And I think, oh, no. I think they're going to undo everything that I've been working on. And so here they come. This like 15-year-old kid walks up. Eyeball, eyeball with my dad. Um, Hi, sir. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? And he goes, we're just going to go eat seafood. All right, that was his answer. That was his answer. It got so bad in Myrtle Beach in the early 90s that the surf shops began to print t-shirts that said, thanks, but I've already been witness to today. And people would wear them. Mm, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Now, you fast forward just a few years, two years, and I'm one of those kids. I'm at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp, FCA camp, and it's full of jocks, and so everything's a competition. And so what they do is they gather us all together, and Reggie White, remember he used to play NFL ball, he was like the mean dean of the camp, and they show us this video called Without Reservation, which I guess is theologically accurate, it's the worst movie I've ever seen in my life, it's about 20 minutes long. And the way the movie ends is there's a car wreck, a bunch of kids are going to hell, and then the guy comes up when the movie's over, and he's like, you don't want your friends to burn in hell, do you? And you're like, oh, dang it, no. And then we gather up, and they have us memorize the Romans road, which you should memorize, it's four verses out of out of the book of Romans. And so I memorized Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5.8, and about half of 10.9, okay? And the 10.9 is the closer. That's the important one, but I can never get it right in my head. 
And then they put us in these vans and they sent us all over St. Simon Island. And we've got this questionnaire that we're supposed to go through. And so I'm like, I'll go first because I always go first. And I knock on my first door. And what you're supposed to do is ask a few questions. And when you're trying to like shift gears into getting them out of hell and into heaven, there's this question that you ask, can I tell you about the peace I found in Jesus Christ? That was like the, that was the transition sentence so you could share the four verses that you just memorized. So I knock on the first door, and this lady answers, and I think it was kind of like, a, like an illegal nursery, okay? There were no signs or anything up. There were all these children everywhere, and this lady almost in tears. And I ask her a few questions, and then I say, can I tell you about the peace I found in Jesus Christ? She's like, oh, yes, yes, I, yes, please, you know, because all those kids. And so I go through my verses and say, do you want to be saved? She's like, yeah, we pray. She becomes a Christian, and I think, I am awesome at this. I got this. I go back to the van, I'm like, one me, y'all zero. I got this, all right, I'm winning. We go to the next house, I literally told the guys, y'all stay here, I don't need y'all, y'all just slow me down anyway. Y'all stay here, I'll be back in a minute. I go knock on the door, the guy answers the door. I start with my little spiel, he invites me into his home. He's got all these books in his library. Eventually, after I've gone through part of my stuff, I go, hey man, what do you do for a living? He says, I, I'm an author and I write books to disprove the validity of the Bible. Can I tell you about the peace I found in Jesus? Oh, you've heard of him? Yeah. So I do my three and a half verses. Guess what? He's heard them. He almost unchristianed me. That's what almost happened. It almost went reverse. It's crazy. And so I remember thinking, if that's the only way to do it, I don't know if I can do this. Or I tell you what else is, um, is when, I, when I waited tables in college, um, I've never apologized for more Christians in my whole life. I would never work Sundays when I waited tables. And, and, and my boss would be like, oh, is that because, you know, you're a Christian and you're trying to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? I was like, no, because Christians are the worst tippers ever. If I walked in and saw people praying before their meal, I was like, oh, no. I mean, I've got to spend eternity in heaven with them, and then they're going to be a crappy tipper. I love the people that were smoking on the way in ordering tequila. You know what I mean? Like, That's my people, baby. Come on, because they pay you. And so what came out, I don't know if it still happens, but there was, in the 90s, there, was these, there were these, there were gospel tracts. And a gospel tract is kind of a little cartoon thing to tell people about Jesus, okay? And, and they, made, they made them that looked like $20 bills. And so you'd see, a, you'd see a little family praying for their meal, and you think, oh, and then you would see this $20 tip, and you were like, cha-ching! And you would walk up to it, and then open it, and it was like, it was, can I tell you about the good news? And I was like, good news? This is bullshkubilon, man. <laughs> I've never apologized for more Christians in my life than I, when I waited tables, all right? I apologized for the overflowing grace and mercy of Jesus Christ expressed in a Jesus juke tip that really ticked a waiter off. It's like, man, I'm sorry. That's not what it's about. Or maybe, maybe you think that evangelism means that you've got to get an RV and you've got to put Bible verses all over it. And listen, if God calls you to do that, God bless your ministry, okay? But here's the thing. I've never in my life heard of the person say, hey, how did you come to this growing faith in Jesus Christ? But well, there I was. I was walking out of Walmart, and I saw this RV. said, turn or burn. And I said, Lucille, baby, we better turn. <laughs> and kind of the latest craze is the online Jesus juke, all right? 1122, please don't be these people. Like somebody puts a funny picture of somebody online, everybody's like, ha it's clearly a joke, you're clearly laughing, and then somebody throws in, Jesus wouldn't talk about them that way. And you can just feel like a wah, wah, wah. Like, that's why I don't like Christians. Can you just relax? 
And so I think a lot of us go, if that's what it is, then I don't think I'm going to do that. Okay. You can't find any of those examples in 1 John right here. Here's what you find. You, you find, as the Spirit guides you, you talk about what you've seen and heard. As the Spirit guides you, you talk about what you have experienced, like John is talking about what he has experienced. And so I get it. There are some reasons that we don't share our faith, okay? And, and especially in this current culture where you can talk about almost anything, but to talk about Jesus, it just, you know, kind of, it can kind of feel awkward. And so, you know, one of the reasons I think people share their, don't share their faith is this. One, because you don't actually know him. You don't actually have faith. You, you haven't actually seen and heard and experienced. Because here's just the reality. I mean, I was going to say I don't mean to step on your toes, but I actually do. I mean to jump up and down on your toes. If, if Jesus abides in your heart and you don't have a heart for the lost like Jesus has a heart for the lost, then somewhere there's a breakdown there. And don't take, I mean, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. You think I mean, listen to this cat. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Email him. He probably won't reply. He's been dead a while, okay? But that's just true. I think some of us, it's hard to talk about things that you haven't personally experienced. So that can be a reason. Another one is a fear of rejection. Is a fear of rejection. I get that. That's legitimate. That's legitimate. And another thing that I've heard is, I've heard people say, well, listen, man, I don't know that my lifestyle actually supports what I want to tell people about Jesus. Well, there's a couple of things. One, actually, what you're claiming is not that you're perfect. In fact, what you're saying is the reason that I need a Savior is because I'm imperfect. And I've got good news for you. You know the self-proclaimed hypocrite is no longer a hypocrite. The person that's a hypocrite is the person that says they are perfect but they're not living up to it. I'm the first one to tell you I'm the worst sinner in the room, I promise. It's evidence of why I need a Savior. That when Jesus died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, He was talking about me. I need His forgiveness. I need that kind of salvation. Now, that is not an excuse to just live as if He's not your Lord and then proclaim that He is your Lord. But I know a lot of folks are, are scared of rejection. And then this is, this is legitimate. Some people are like, yeah, but... Pastor, isn't that your job? I mean, you're the pro. Like, we pay you, and we can just bring them to you, and you tell them. And, and some of you would legitimately say, I, I feel unequipped. All right? If that's legit, if you'll turn your bulletin over, we've got a Share Your Faith seminar coming up. And I am promise it doesn't require an RV or tracks or any of those kinds of things. What we are trying to do for those that, that legitimately say, I'd love to share my faith. I really would. In a, in a way that's legitimate and authentic to the way God wired me then I'd love for you to come here so that you could get equipped. And what you're going to find, what you're going to find is if, if, if that's just an excuse that you're using or if it is a reality. And so some people don't feel equipped, so you can get equipped. By the way, can I just tell you real quick, I am very equipped to share my faith. Very, 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 very equipped. I've got multiple degrees in being equipped to talk about the Jesus stuff. I'm all in. You know what I've never experienced? I've never checkmated anybody in heaven. Ever. And I've been on numerous, numerous planes and have a bunch of confrontations and conversations. And by the way, I like it. I like to fight. I like to be right. I know I'm going to heaven. I like it. And so I, I let people say something stupid, but ha, ha, ha. And then I've never, you know, just unpacked somebody's, somebody's worldview. And, and I've never experienced them going, God, you know what? You're right. You know what? You're right. Based on the, the, the logical answers that you have given. Okay, I give up. How do I be? Never has that happened. It's not until that person experiences the reality of Jesus Christ for themselves 
And so that should be good news for you if, if you don't feel super equipped. I think the majority of us are just this. It's just we're just too busy. We just don't think about it. I mean, you got Little League and you got carpool and you got to clean the house and you got a vacation coming and you got the sales going and you're trying to juggle your schedule. And it's just not top on your priority. And I would just say this to you. Man, my, my only seminary professor that I really like told me this. He said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And some of us just get so busy that it's just not on the top of our minds. And if I were to ask you, is, is eternity important to you? You go, yeah, it's very important. And if I were to say, are these people important to you? You go, yeah, these are the, like, the most important people in my life. Well, have you told them about what's most important in your life? Nah, I just, I just don't really think about it. That's why we do sermons like this, just as a remind, reminder to kind of spur you on and fan the flame. So one of the ways I just kind of keep it front and center in my world, I just add, there's a couple of things that I do. One is I, you know, as I, as, as I feel like God is leading me to share my faith personally, because the other thing, too, as a preacher, I, I have the same responsibility you do. That this doesn't count, okay? This is what I do to preach. That doesn't count. But I also want to be a person that's just sharing personally with people that God puts in my life about Jesus. And so I'll just ask people, hey, what'd you do this weekend? And they say some stuff. And then they have to ask you. They always go, well, what did you do this weekend? And now this is easier for you to do than me because you can say, man, I went to this amazing church. It's kind of weird for me. But like, ah, man, this preacher this weekend was amazing. You got to come here. <laughs> in fact, I was traveling this last week and I had on an 1122 t-shirt and I'm in the little security thing at the airport and this lady sees my shirt. She's like, oh, 1122, I've been there. I said, like, what'd you think? And she's like, eh. <laughs> I shouldn't say that. But she did say, do you go? I'm like, a lot. I go a lot, but mostly for the worship. That's what I told her. So anyway, so it's just part of it. You can just, just do that. Another thing, if I ever hear anybody say they're new to town, first thing I do is ask, well, have you found a church? Especially if they moved up from, from up north. Because I'm like, look, man, you live in the south now. You've got to have a church. If you're going to be American, you've got to go to church. And I tell them about our church. Or if something like Mother's Day is coming up, I just ask people, where are you taking your mama for Mother's Day? You have to, all right? And it's just, it's just I try to just keep it on the front burner there. I remember, remember 100 years ago when you used to have to go to a store to get a movie? Remember that? It was crazy, all right? I'm telling you, you students, you, oh, you, know, you, you couldn't just like get it off your TV. You had to go to the store and get this box. It was like this big. It was crazy. Anyway, I remember going in Blockbuster one time like 15 years ago, and I can, I can feel it. Like I have like a spidey sense for Christians, you know, when they enter the room. I was like, oh, I see church people. Like, I just can feel it. <laughs> And this guy walks in, and I'm picking out a movie. It was probably inappropriate. And he, like, sees the type of movies that I watch. He's like, well, obviously, this guy's a pagan. And he leans in, and, and he begins this conversation. And I can totally tell that he's trying to invite me to his church. And he does. And so I don't tell him, like, hey, I'm, I'm already a Christian. I'm actually a preacher, and I, I, I'm kind of booked this weekend. I just let him go for their spiel for, like, practice. You know what I mean? And so he gives me his card, and I gave him a fake name and all that, and he finally left. But I just remember thinking this, that this guy went into Blockbuster thinking... Maybe there's somebody here that needs Jesus. And he saw me and said, obviously that guy does. And I walked into the movie store thinking, I hope they have my favorite movie. It was just a different mindset. And so what John is saying here is that, that what we have seen and heard, that we want to tell you about it, we proclaim to you. So that, and here's why, here's, here's why John says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. In other words, I want something for you, not from you. That at the church of 1122, we're, we're not trying to make converts. We're not even trying to make believers. We're trying to make disciples. We're just inviting people into the family. And he's saying, hey, look, I would love for you to have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father 
and with His Son, Jesus Christ, that we believe that God loved us so much that we can love you and we would love for you to be a part of this family. And can you imagine being part of a community? Can you imagine being part of a family where it might be the only place in your whole world where you don't have to perform and you don't have to pretend? It might be the only place in your whole world that you could be loved for not what you could become one day. Not loved because of some potential that you have for us, but that you could be loved just as you are. And that's what God demonstrated on the cross. He demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, before we ever attended anything, that Jesus died for us. And that's what I want for you. I'm not trying to just talk you into being a part of what I'm a part of, but that's what I want for you. That's why he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And, by the way, if you're a Christian at all, do you know that all throughout the Scripture, the Bible talks being a, a Christian as a, as a part of a fellowship. You can't find a Lone Ranger Christian in the Scriptures. It's just not there. And though your, your own faith is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it was always meant to be lived out as a part of a family or a part of a body. And I've told you this a hundred times. A, a dismembered part of the body is gross. If you walked out in the parking lot today and you saw a finger, you'd be like, that ain't awesome. And so the disconnected Christian, I think heaven looks at it and goes, that is not good. That finger is just going to stink and shrivel up and die. And that we were created to be a part of this family. So if you've been at 1122 for a while, then then I would encourage you at the end of the service to go to the Connect Center. You can get connected there. We've tried to make it that simple. That you could join a disciple group if you're ready to dive in. Um, that Pastor Britt talked about this in the announcements, but there's also uh, a class that we have called the Discover 1122. If you've just got questions about who we are and what we believe and how to get involved, those kinds of things. If you are one of the 247 people that have, that have surrendered your life to Christ this year, then you could go to the baptism class. And you know what the baptism class is, or the baptism event, when we go down to the beach this summer, the baptism? It's just a big family celebration. It's a birthday party for those of you that have been spiritually reborn. And your church family gathers on the beach. I mean, as far as the east is from the west, but it's really north and south. And, and we got fried chicken and coolers and watermelon, and it's awesome. Have you ever tailgated for church? It's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. And it's just a big family experience where we're not all separated by service times and all of that. But it's the one time our whole church gathers together as one big fellowship or family. And those people that are going public with their faith, we are your biggest fans just cheering you on. We would love for you to be a part of that. Why? Because, because we, this, I, we're joining with John here to say that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4. Last verse. And we... We are writing these things to you that our joy may be complete. You know what John's saying here? John is saying, you know what? Nothing would make us happier than if you knew Jesus. Who is that in your life? Who is that in your life? Do you have somebody in your life that, that, that when you lay your head down at night to pray and you, you really think, God, nothing would make me happier than if this person knew Jesus the way I knew Jesus. Nothing would make me happier than this person knowing what forgiveness and freedom and abundant life and knowing that you can maybe once and for all that you don't have to pretend and you don't have to perform anymore. And so here's the point. That the almighty king of the universe came to earth on a search and rescue mission. And the moment you're rescued, you become a part of the rescue team. 
I mean, the Bible says this in Luke 10, 9, For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And every time I talk about this, you know where my mind goes? You know where I think about? And I hope you think about the same thing. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad somebody joined the search and rescue team for you? I mean, if you grew up in church, I know a lot of you did. If you grew up in church, aren't you so glad that you had a mom and a dad that loved you enough to pray over you and pray with you and take you to vacation Bible school and raise you in Sunday school and, and just pour into you those things that actually your parents are a part of the search and rescue team for you? And maybe if you were like me and you didn't grow up in church, aren't you so glad that you had some people that weren't too busy and they were not afraid and, and even though they didn't have all the answers, aren't you so glad that they were willing to risk an invitation to church or an invitation to share their story or to just kind of, kind of not in any awkward way, but to kind of lean in and say, hey, you got any questions about this stuff? Aren't you so stinking glad? And so if you would, I want you to open up your notes. I want you to, at the top of the second page there, you know, this whole year we're calling our church to a year of prayer. Here's what I want you to be praying for all week long. Okay, I wrote the prayer. You got to fill in one name. Okay, that's it. It says, Heavenly Father, give me the opportunity, talking about this week, give me the opportunity to extend an invite, share my story, or share the gospel with, and then you fill in that name. And that what we're going to commit to do as a church is that we're going to pray for this person all week long. And now, a couple of things here. These are really like one of three options, Okay. Ideally, let me just tell you my ideal as your pastor. My ideal would be that every single one of you that call yourself a Christian are so well equipped to, equipped to share the gospel that you don't need me to do it, that you could go into work tomorrow and you could share the Roman road or you could talk about how we're all sinners and Christ died for our, our, our salvation and that you could invite people to receive Jesus. And, and, and I hope many of you will go to the Share Your Faith class and learn how to do that over time. But some of you are like, I don't know how to do that. Okay. Then maybe you would pray this week that that God might give you an opportunity just to share your story. Because you know what? Especially for you non-combative, kind of non-confrontational people, you know what's very non-confrontational? Your own story with people that know you. Because nobody's going to argue with you, and nobody knows you better than you. And there's no more authentic thing to talk about than your own life. What your life was like, how you met Jesus, and, and what your life's like now. And not just the good parts, but all of it but the reality that he still loves you anyway, and he's still working on you now. And then for some of you, some of you, God's going to give an invitation or give an opportunity just to share an invitation, and here's why. If you bring people back next week, your friends that you love, that you want to meet Jesus, guess what I'm going to talk about? I'm going to talk about Jesus. And I'm going to try to explain the gospel in a way that every single person here could understand. And so I want you this week to fill in this name and be praying that God might give you an opportunity to either share an invitation to church next week, to share your story with them, or to share the gospel. And let me just tell you, um, I wouldn't put this on display. You know what I mean? Like, even if the person is sitting next to you right now, don't just draw an arrow and be like, okay? <laughs> and also, I wouldn't put it on display at work. You know, don't put it in your cubicle and be like, hey, Sally, see it right there? My whole church is praying that you quit going to hell. All right, no, that's not what we're talking about. This is like an invitation. It's a nice thing. That, that you, that's what you'd be praying about, okay? And there may be some of you, there may be some of you here right now, and this is your very first week, or last week was your very first week, and somebody invited you back, and you might be thinking, I feel like they're talking about me. We are totally talking about you right now. If you're not a Christian, you're, to you're all the way off the hook. But I thought that it would be good for you to even hear this so that you would hear the heart behind why somebody invited you today. 
Here's why. Here's why. They love you. They care about you. And they've experienced something that's been life transforming and they want to share that with you. And, and they probably can't tell you that. Because for some of you, you're like, this is getting weird. Because it would get weird. If you're playing golf and in the golf cart, God leans over and is like, hey, Jim, you want to go to church with me? Okay. Because I love you so much. I want you to be in heaven with me. No, you're like, well, we ain't playing golf anymore, all right? just gets weird. But that is the reality of why we're praying and what this invitation is about. And then I need you to understand this. It's the reason I want you to invite somebody next week. It's only if you think them coming here would help point them to Jesus. Because the point of 1122 is not 1122. The point of 1122 is to point people to Jesus. And so if this place helps you point people to Jesus, then by all means, please invite them. If you think they could never hear about Jesus in this environment, then, then if there's another environment that helps point people to Jesus, then I'll give you next week off and take them there. Whatever it takes to point people to Jesus. The other reason I want to kind of give you three options here is because there's not just one way to share your faith. It's not just one way. In fact, if you'll remember, it seems like 100 years ago, but remember we were in Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, three people got saved in that, in that chapter. Um, Lydia, which was this like professional CEO woman, this slave girl that was demon-possessed, and this jailer, all right? So there was a woman, a slave, and this Gentile jailer. And if you look through it, do it on your own, especially you Bible nerds, go home and read Acts 16. And what you'll see here is three different types of people come to Christ from three different kind of types or methods. That, that Lydia is really smart and she was already religious. And so they go into this theological discourse and reason for belief. And that's how she gets saved, through a theological discretion. The slave girl's demon-possessed, and it's not until she, had, she experienced this miraculous encounter with the power of Jesus Christ that she's set free and that she surrenders her life to Christ. And then the jailer, he, he's, this, he's this Roman guy, and he's not a seeker. He's not listening to podcasts. He's not asking questions about God. He's not trying to visit a church. But what he sees is he sees Paul, Paul's ultimate surrender to Jesus, even when his life's not going well, that he, that he worships God even in the jail, and when the doors fall off the jail and he could run, that he's obedient to God. And in that physical experience, the jailer sees something in Paul and says, man, there must be something to this, and he surrenders his life to God. So I say all that to say, man, God uses all different kind of people to reach all different kind of people. He uses all different kind of invitations or stories or gospel presentations, and it has a whole lot to do with just, just how God wants to meet those people right where they are. The interesting thing about Acts chapter 16 is that the Pharisees had a prayer they prayed every day. The Pharisees in the New Testament are like the bad, the bad guys, okay? They keep showing up everywhere, and they're mean to Jesus, and they don't realize who Jesus is, but they're very religious. And every day they would pray, Dear God, thank you that you did not make me a woman, a slave, or a Gentile. And in Acts chapter 16, guess who God saves? He saves a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. You know what that means? That means this Jesus movement was a movement for all people. That's why the Church of 1122 is a movement for all people. Not religious people, not just irreligious people, not good people, not just bad people, not any type of color or socioeconomic status or any of that, but we are a movement for all people to do two things, to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those of you that have been a Christian a minute, let me tell you something. You want to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ? Nothing deepens your relationship with Him more then you get interested about other people discovering their relationship with Jesus for the very first time. It changes everything. So you thought deepening came through more Bible study. You're probably not enacting enough Bible already. I don't know to, to know more, to be held more accountable is going to help. 
The great commission is, therefore, go. Make disciples. See, because here's what happens. If you, get, if you get really, really intimately interested in somebody else discovering their relationship with Jesus, it's going to deepen you because it changes the way you read the Bible. Because you're not just reading it anymore of what you can get out of it, but you've got to marinate in the Scriptures to answer your friend's questions. It also changes the way you act. Because you've got to act in a certain way so you don't totally discredit your testimony before them. If you say that you're, the old is dead and the new has come, and they look at you and they say, yeah, but you act like we, you've always acted. You act just like everybody else. There's something in you that begins to let you know how important it is to walk in obedience with Jesus. The other thing that changes is your prayer life changes. Because you just quit praying for you all the time. You actually get on your face and start praying for some other people to discover a relationship with Jesus. And I'm just going to tell you, my personal experience has been is that the deeper and deeper and deeper my relationship goes, my relationship with Jesus goes, it's those times when I'm most interested in other people discovering a relationship with Jesus. And then the good news, check it out. God saves. God saves. Not you, not your presentation. That God saves. And that he loves the person that you're praying for way more than you do. And so I want to encourage you all week long to be praying for this person. Praying for the opportunity. And, and here, a couple of reasons why. Aren't you so glad? Aren't you so glad that somebody was praying for you? Aren't you so glad that somebody risked it to talk to you, to give you an invitation or in, you know, invite you to this church at some point in your life or to sit down and say, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about the most important thing in the world because you're an important person in my world. Because the man, if you've been around here at all, you know who led me to Christ. Coach Bully, a JV football coach. And man, I thank my God every week that that man wasn't too busy. And I'm telling you, football coaches are busy. And he led a whole lot of crowds to Christ. But he had enough time to spend time with me and answer my questions. And I'm so glad he didn't get too busy. And I'm so glad he wasn't afraid. Now, he wasn't afraid of anything ever, ever, ever. So. But I'm so glad that he was willing to, to get eyeball to eyeball with me talk about Jesus and lead me to Christ. And on the day they buried him a bunch of years ago, they read Acts 11.24 over him. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. That's why, that's the tattoo I have. I put it right there so I'd always remember it. It's like a mission statement for my life. I mean, I hope and pray there's a day when, when y'all dig a hole and put me in it and then come back here and eat potato salad and talk about how great I was. I hope and pray you can say those things. And especially that last part, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. And a great number for a church is 9,000 whatever, but you know what a great number for the kingdom of heaven is? One more. One. One. And that might be the one that you write down on this, on your bulletin, and you pray for all weekend. Why do you pray? If God does all the saving and God is sovereign, why do you pray? Here's why. Because God might actually save them. It's like going to work with your dad. That, that he, he does it. He does it. He takes credit and takes all the responsibility for it. And yet, in his loving kindness, our dad invites us to come along with us and be a part. And be a part of the greatest miracle that could ever happen. Is that somebody's eternal destiny changes from separation with Christ to Christ living in them. And so, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine next week, it actually happens. I mean, really, what if you write that name down? You write that name down, and you're praying for him all week long, and then Tuesday afternoon, out of the blue, just because this is a prayer God wants to answer. You realize that? Some of your prayers, God doesn't want to answer. Like, he don't care if you get a Cadillac or not, you know, and you're like, dude, Jesus, please. He's like, oh, whatever. 
But you start praying like, God, will you give me an opportunity to talk about you with this person? God might lean into that one and be like, okay. And you've got your eyes open and this week at work or on the ball field or in school or in your home, wherever it is, and you get an opportunity to share. And maybe it's an invitation here next week or you share your story or you lay out the gospel, whatever it is. And then maybe that person shows up here next week. And then at the end of the service next week, we give an opportunity to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ. Just imagine for a second this person that God has placed you in their life to be salt and to be light and to be a gospel witness. That for the first time, the scales fall off their eyes. Their heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. That they realize that something's happening and that God, that God loves them. And he paid the price for them. And he wants to purchase them and redeem them and draw them into the family. And your friend, your dad, your mom, your coworker, your, your student, your kid, whoever it is. And next week, they say, yeah, that's me. I'm ready to surrender. That's why we pray, because God might actually save them. So I need every person to write that name down or to write it in your phone. And every day this week, be praying for a miraculous move of the Holy Spirit. So that we, we, we would testify and proclaim to that which we have seen and which we have heard. Would you please stand and pray with me? Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much that you demonstrate your love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, not because we deserve it, not because we changed, not because we started attending church, but just as we are, Jesus, you died for us. And then, God, the moment we realize that, the moment we surrender, we become a part of the search and rescue team. And God, it's not because you need us. Because God, you can save the world however you want to. God, you could appear in dreams, write your name in the stars, whatever, whatever you want to do, God. But God, we, as folks that call 1122 our home, Lord, we, we gladly offer up ourselves to say, here we are, God, use us. And God, we pray all week for an opportunity to share an invitation for next week, to share to share our story if you give us the opportunity to do that or to share the gospel with the people that you put in front of us and say go. And so God, I pray for Holy Spirit courage this week from our folks. God, I pray against any kind of awkwardness or weirdness or any of that. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation, but just freedom, God. We could freely talk about who we love with people that we love. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we respond. We respond. God went first, and we respond. And so we're going to respond by singing. We're going to sing a song. I think it's called Carry Your Name. And it, it puts words to what we're talking about, that we're going to carry the name and the love of Jesus to the people that God has placed in our lives. So I want to invite everybody to sing. Also, the altars are always open. And maybe you need to start your 731 today by coming to the altar and praying for that person, praying for an opportunity this week that God might give you. And then if you're a regular here, if you're a regular then, then we bring our tithes and offerings. We bring our first and best to God because he first loved us by giving us his best. And so however you need to respond, now's the time. Let's respond.